we're in the middle of a series. Uh, we took a bit of a break from it last week because it was Father's Day, but uh, we're, in a, we're in a series on Titus. And Titus is an interesting book because it's, uh, it's a book that's just on leadership, actually, in a lot of ways. And so let me give you just a little bit of a context uh, for what, where, where, where we find ourselves and why Paul is writing this book to Titus. Um, what we kind of hope to glean from this series is that uh, what does it look like for Christians, like you and me, to lead in culture? What does it look like for us to actually influence it? So that you can see the little byline here is people of influence. And we were talking about this last week that in order to influence something, means you actually have this awkward word that we don't super like in the West a lot called authority. And uh, in order to influence anything, it requires some kind of authority. And it requires some kind of power. In order to influence something, it means you exert some kind of power over it. Now, you can, you can influence things in negative ways, and you can influence things in positive ways. And we talked last week about power is like an awkward word in culture. And we talked last week about what's your relationship to it? Like, do you not like it? Or do you fall victim to it a lot? Or do you, are you afraid to wield it ever? Uh, do you not like it when people exert power over you? And we have a strange relationship to power, I find, in our culture. And so trying to figure out how to redeem that. So here's why Paul writes this letter to Titus. Titus is doing ministry in a place, in, in this, uh, the Isle of uh, Crete, okay? And Crete, I did this little, little tiny bit of research. Uh, Crete is like the Greek word for liar, which is interesting because it's like Crete was known as a place that just had people who were like liars and thieves that lived there. It was this island where there was lots of ports and it was kind of like, uh, you know, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, Tortuga. You know what I'm talking about? Does that ring any bells? Or Australia a hundred years ago. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was just where a lot of criminals and liars were. And Titus has to go do ministry there. And the problem is, is there's, there was a few churches that were planted, but they had this issue where the churches that were in Crete started to look a whole, like they started to look really Cretan. They started to look really, there's lots of debauchery going on, and there wasn't a lot of difference between the people who followed the way, who followed Jesus, and just good old Cretans. So what Paul's writing is, okay, we're going to have to change and influence the culture away from the way that it's progressing naturally. So that's what this book's about. So it's kind of quite direct, and it gives a lot of, you know, advice, dare I say it. And we don't, I don't know, we don't like advice. I don't like advice. But Paul's really direct. Hey, tell people to do this and tell them not to do that. And so we're going to wrestle with today a little bit about like, uh, there's some do's and don'ts in here. And we're going to wrestle through what that means for us. Because I don't like do's and don'ts. They're not like intellectual or something. You know, it doesn't like, it doesn't cause me to wrestle and I just have to trust someone and like take it for face value. But we're going to wrestle through some of these distant uh, do's and don'ts and uh, figure out why Paul's being so bold uh, and helping these uh, Christians figure out how to transform Cretan culture and not look so much exactly like it and falling into all the sorts of sins and terrible things that everybody else was too. So I'm going to put a, you can put the, the slide up there. And I'm just going to, uh, oh yeah, so there's this word responsibility, okay? Uh, what Paul is arguing for here is he's saying, hey, church, you are actually responsible for redeeming the world that you were placed in. You're responsible. You have this crazy mantle and, uh, yeah, responsibility is the word, to be a source of change there. You should influence it. It should change because you're present. Uh, and it's your job. Who else is going to do it? It's up to you. So there's like a, there's a real responsibility that Paul's talking about here. 
And how he does this is for this, for Titus 2, we talked about Titus 1 last week, but Titus 2 is just a whole bunch of advice on how much you are responsible for. So let's put, uh, let's put these few up here first. Uh, he gives a bunch, I'm sorry that it's kind of small, maybe I'll stand up here so you guys can see it. Um, he gives a whole bunch of advice to a bunch of different age groups. And I'm, I kind of just wrote one word that sort of summed up what he was giving advice uh, for people to. But he tells the old men to be trustworthy and to live lives worthy of being respected and to, uh, yeah, uh, be wise and, and be someone that you could be looked up to. Be trustworthy, essentially. He tells older women to be reverent. He tells uh, uh, young women to be pure. He tells young men to be self-controlled. And he tells employees uh, or slaves to obey and live righteously and do what you're told. And it just goes on and on and on. The, the, pretty much three quarters of Titus 2 is just, hey, you do that, you do this, you do that. Stay out of trouble. Be reverent, be holy, be wise, be all these things. Be, 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 be. And then at the end of every little chunk, there's some so that's, okay? So let's put the so that's up there. And these are heavy so that's. Uh, it's uh, do all these things so that no one will malign the word of God. That's, that's a big deal. So be trustworthy and stay out of trouble and don't sleep around so that no one will malign the word of God. That's like a massive so that. Another one. So that no one can slander us. So that we're above reproach. So that when people look at Christians, they go, oh yeah, those people don't do that. Those people, they're different. Those people actually live differently and live righteously. Uh, and another one, so that God's teaching will be attractive. These are like, these are really cause and effect things that he's saying. Do all these things so that all of these things will happen. So what I kind of glean from that is... Uh, God has given us a ton of influence and responsibility, and it kind of, I'm sorry, it just has a lot to do with the way that we live. I don't know, we, we don't talk about that a ton, hey? We talk a lot about our hearts from the pulpit. How's your heart doing? What are your motives like? Those are more fun to talk about. Or, ah, I don't know, wrestling through stuff. And then I like read this book, and it's like, actually, one of the key ways that we're called to uh, have God's teaching be attractive to others is just straight up by the way that we live. Just straight up obedience, optics, uh, all that stuff that we kind of find a little bit icky and it gets really legalistic, you know, super quickly if we talk about this for too long. You know what I'm saying? And it just comes across like rules to us. And yeah, you, re you read this chunk and I'm like, there's a, there's a lot at stake with the way that we live. And dare I say it, even the way that we're perceived to live and the way people watch and all this stuff. So I was wrestling through it and uh, going, wow, there's a lot of, we have a lot of responsibility and it has a ton to do with, uh, with very practical things. So what I wanna figure out today, I, I just got three, three simple points that I'd like to go through today. Basically just outlining how do we do this right? Because you can hear the ditches in what I'm saying already. You know, the, you, we've heard these kind of speeches before. I don't, think they're, I don't think they're called sermons if they're just do this and don't do that. So that's not a good sermon. Do this, do that. Don't stay out of trouble. I don't think that's a sermon. Uh, but uh, that's a strange noise. Oh, that's a sink. <laughs> Shh, she's getting water. Um, so, uh, oh, that knocked me off my train of thought. Um, yeah, we're back. We're gonna fi I want to figure out how to do how to how to rightly relate to things that are seemingly sounding quite legalistic in a healthy way, okay? And we'll figure out how to redeem the 
potentially black and white nature of Titus 2, all right? So what I'd like to read for us is, uh, feel free to turn there if you like. We're in Titus 2, obviously. And we're just going to read verses 11 to 15, where we're going to read the end. And it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, Let's read this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our, um, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So, uh, the first thing that's really important to note is that as we live out this life that actually really represents holy living, we live that out freely, and it has nothing to do with earning our salvation. This is super clear. Let's just reread verses, uh, verses 11 uh, to 12 again. They say this, For the grace of God has appeared to us, has appeared, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, um, I, uh, this is super key, and we just have to, we just have to talk about this for a second. There's, there, is no, there is no correlation between your actions and the things that you're doing, all the things you're doing right, all the please do this is, uh, that, that's independent of your salvation. And that we live out, we live out those good actions totally free of having them need to be part of the transaction at all. The, 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 the term that is good to remember is that grace empowers. Okay, so grace is this unmerited thing that we get called the gift of salvation by the blood of Jesus. And it empowers us to do these good works because there's nothing left to earn anymore. And so the, the grace that you've received is what empowers you because you know, freely you've been given, so freely you can give. It's uh, none of the things you're doing are transactional. They don't have points attached to them and you tally them up at the end. No, no, no. You've been freely given, so you, you've, you've been freely given, so you get to do the same. And that disposition is what empowers you to live and do good works. So grace, grace empowers is a wonderful thing, and um, we preach about it a lot in the church in the West, and we love this free gift of salvation. And then I kind of, um, sometimes when I feel like uh, feisty in terms of my faith, I'll go watch like some Francis Chan videos, because <laughs> he kind of gets just feisty, and he's really, I don't know, he's good at articulating the... Uh, the sort of the pit, pitfalls of the Western church. And sometimes it's just really juicy to listen to him go on a rant about how sometimes we get it wrong in church. But it gets really tricky, right? Because um, I, uh, this is what I tend to do. When I hear grace empowers, this is, I'll, I'll, just speak, I'll just speak personally. When I hear grace empowers, it goes, oh, uh, so I translate that into my brain and that equals I never have to do anything. And if I... Anything that I should do, I, I, I'd somehow like magically want to do. And since I don't feel like it, uh, I guess I'm just not going to do it. And this is, this is what I tend to do, is I take all my sins, and I just make them really, really like subtle. Do you know what I'm saying? We get really good at this in the church, where all of our sins are so sneaky, and you don't, they're hard to really like pin. You know, they're tricky ones like apathy, or like idolatry, but in a really hard to perceive way. 
it's like, oh, I just really, uh, I'm really career-minded or something. And how do you, it's like, wait, no, I think you idolize your work and money. But no, no, you're career-minded. You know what I'm saying? And there's these little ways that we get to make our idolatry and our sins super, super subtle. I'm really good at this. Um, and maybe you are too. And it's a great way to avoid awkward topics in small groups is we just come up with like little turns of phrase that are actually idolatry. Um, but um, they just sound like things that, well, of course I should be able to do that because I don't want to be, you know, under the law or something. And then what we do is we trivialize our sin over here. And then over here, we take all of the good works and then we go, oh, no, 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 those things are legalistic. So if we say, hey, you should serve or you should not do that or that's wrong or um, this is what Christians ought to not do or like all of these do's and don'ts, then we go, oh, well, that's legalism. And I don't want to just be under the law because I'm under grace. And then what we find is we label all the things that we know we probably should be doing as legalism, and then we label all of our sins as just uh, things that maybe aren't so bad, and we come up with nice words for them. And here's where I feel like we arrive at, is just this malaise, this, this uh, I've, boredom, actually, is the word that I use for my faith. I just get super bored, and I've actually backed myself into this wonderful corner. I'm not having my sins be all that bad. Like, not bad enough where I'd get called on them. And then realizing that all the good works that I probably should do, I've just managed to figure out how, how, if I did those, I'd probably be earning something. So I'm not going to do it out of the wrong heart. And then I find myself in this little middle zone of being actually quite frustrated and in a bit of a malaise. And uh, the scariest verse in the whole Bible to me, okay, scariest verse is I'll, I'll share with you my, the second scariest verse. The first scariest verse for sure is um, uh, you call, uh, uh, when, 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 when God says, uh, you did everything I said, but I didn't know you. Like, oh, that one just grabs me. Uh, but the second scariest one is, uh, is when, um, I'm gonna get it wrong, I didn't write it down, but uh, when God says, you were neither hot nor cold, you were just lukewarm, so I spit you out of my mouth. Oh man, I'm like, shoot. Uh, this is what I feel like so why is, that, why is that what causes a gag reflex, as it were, with God? Is because I think for us, we know, um, we almost know what grace, we, we know what grace is and we know the freedom that it is. And then to say, I'm actually gonna use grace to figure out how to stay apathetic and not have to have anything cost me in life. That is a huge insult to the Holy Spirit, I think where we use our wisdom and we use our like Christianese jujitsu to figure out how to still be, to just do what we want, but nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna actually bug us or get in our grill. You know what I'm saying? I could live the next 50 years of my life and no one would get in my grill. I've figured out how to do that. And that is like, huh. like that's the, I don't, that's disgusting <laughs> to God. Not understanding is a whole different thing but manipulating the system, wow. And so this, this concept of just living it out freely, how do you do that, not get trapped in the in-between world of like, oh, I want some of God. You know, I want some of God, and then I'll do some good works to keep me in everybody's good books. You know, and this back and forth of like, that's not living in freedom. That's not grace. That's not freely giving as you've been given. That's working the system to figure out how to, how to have like a good cost-benefit ratio. You know what I'm saying? That's not grace. And God wants to spit that 
out of his mouth. Ugh, super guilty of this. So we live it out freely. That has to be super clear. It's not like I'm going to do some good deeds for a bit and then come back over here and blah, blah, blah. It's just the, not that pendulum swing thing. It's uh, we need to figure out how to have grace actually empower us. And we live it out freely because of what he did first and foremost. And that is what needs to motivate us because it's just freedom. Then the second one, the second thing is uh, influence is, uh, you can put the, the next slide up, guys. So the first one is we live it out freely. And the second one, put the next one up, is uh, influence is living it. If we're going to influence culture, uh, there's just no way around actually living righteously. It just, it's what people see and it's what they are looking for. And Paul's very clear in this letter going, if you're going to change Crete from what it is to what it isn't, you can't live like them. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Like if you're going to have influence over them, live righteously above reproach, like in all of these ways. Uh, the practical stuff matters, and we just over-spiritualize things so much. And I think this is still true in our culture, hey? Integrity is like king. Integrity and authenticity, like peop- that's what people are looking for. It's like, do you mean that? Like, do you actually mean it? Because I, I get what you say. Like, I know the church words, and I know the things you're supposed to be doing, but like, do you, do you believe it so much that it actually dictates the way that you live? Do I see you exercising the principles that come across at a pulpit in an everyday life. Like, oh, wow, you believe that so much that you executed it in a super costly way. That's integrity. And there's just no way around that for us if we're going to actually change culture and, uh, you know, be part of its redemption. I think it's just good to, it's good to say that. And what's the number one, what's the number one critique of the church? Is, is it they're hypocrites, right? Isn't that, isn't that what the church gets from the world? They don't live it out. They build their walls and become nice people and uh, figure out how to make the system work for them. And there's a lot of perks to Christianity in the church, especially church culture, tons of perks. And uh, we get labeled as hypocrites, and I think rightly so. I know I could often be labeled as a hypocrite. Um, so here's a, here's a, this is the best example I could think of to articulate this in my own life, was, uh, was I remember this moment so clearly. I was 15, and uh, so my dad is a, a senior pastor of this church, Pastor Greg, and I remember him sitting me down at 15. Actually, no, we went for a walk. We went for a walk, and then we sat down. <laughs> but he told me this when we were walking. And uh, he said, I'm not going to tell you that the way that you live your life doesn't matter for my job. Can you believe that? How legalistic is that, hey? How controlling could that have been? And I remember him having, he has tears in his eyes going, I'm not going to tell you that the way that you live has no bearing on my integrity. I I can't. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it matters the way that you live. You're in a fishbowl. And, I mean, maybe as a pastor's kid, this, this, this example gets heightened, but it's true for all of us, is that, uh, he didn't want to do me the disservice of not telling me that the way that I lived actually mattered in life. And the way that I carried myself and the decisions that I made actually carried weight and influence and I had a responsibility that had to do with my actions, that had to do with the decisions that I made. And I had to work that through as a teenager because I had two choices. One, resent it and go, this isn't fair. This is law. I don't deserve this. 
right? You could easily do that, easily. But he, he risked it in a moment going, I'm going to let you represent me. And it's this, it's this wild moment. Well, I, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but I had to unpack it going, am I going to wear the badge of sun? Am I going to wear that? Because it's not just a, it's not a light thing. Being a child of God is not a, oh yeah, take it or leave it. It's like, no, no, no. Here's the keys to the kingdom. And now you have actual responsibility. Not just a theoretical, pursue me intellectually when you have time. It's like, no, no. Uh, here's the keys, kid. Uh, and I think as Christians all the time, you felt like I could have felt going, no, thank you. That's super, that just squashes my individuality. And uh, there's a whole bunch of things I can't do now. That's the way you do. You could look at it easily. Look at all the things I can't do. Or, oh my goodness, I'm a son that matters. So I think that's our invitation. And then we look at it and we go, oh, it's just good works. And you mean I can't do all these things? And I feel like the father is just going, oh man, I want to make you heirs to the old kingdom. And yeah, there's a couple of things you can't do because I'm trying to purify this world of all the stuff that's ruining it. And uh, what if we saw our sonship in that way? So I had to work out how my responsibility is separate from my standing with my father. Like, uh, so what he for sure also said in that conversation was, P.S., I'm going to love you no matter how you live. Like, there's no, I will always love you. I will always be your dad. That's not changing. That grace has been given to you. And you get to choose whether uh, you want to live that out. Like, live out that love. Let that grace actually empower you towards influencing. Uh, super grateful he did that for me and didn't trivialize my existence. <laughs> he didn't. And I think God's doing that for all of us too. Uh, last one. Freedom, this freedom, this grace, uh, gives you authority uh, because you have nothing left to earn. Salvation actually gives you, this, this grace gives you the authority to disciple others. Because authority is only abusive when it's for selfish gain, right? Like, that's what makes it wrong. That's why we all have a story about how authority was bad. Because someone used it to exert authority in a way that benefited them more than you, or only them. And then we go, oh, authority's bad. Well, hold on a second. Uh, if uh, it's used, the Bible says that you've only been a given authority to build up. You've only been given authority to bring life to extend the love of the Father, to, to spread love. That's all we actually have authority to do. And when there's nothing left for us to earn, and when we receive that grace, we get to call other people to, to love in that way. Because it isn't about us at all. Like, what do, you, what do we have to gain by other people following Jesus well? Like it. You could create a system <laughs> where you were using people in Jesus' name. Maybe you've been part of a system that's used you in Jesus' name. And I'm super sorry. That's, that's terrible. But if we're talking about real discipleship here, and we're talking about really advancing the kingdom, and really about extending grace, uh, you have the authority to do that. 
because you're a member of the kingdom. The keys are yours. And I got, I, I'll, I'll be real with you. I super doubt that I uh, have the authority to call people to live righteously and to disciple them. I think we have a, maybe a, uh, sometimes when I think about discipleship, it's like, oh, help people understand God better, for sure. Uh, or maybe help people uh, know more about the Bible or, or, or have less questions or things like that. I'm like, yeah, it's all that stuff. It's also like walk in righteousness too, hey? Like don't, don't stay in that stuff. Don't like live a life that, you know, is costly and you take up your cross and you live for others and it's better and he calls us to it. And uh, I, every day, doubt that good news and I'm too afraid to actually disciple people into something that's practical. I'm too afraid to do what my dad did for me saying, hey, P.S., the way that you live just really matters in life and your decisions aren't trivial because you're a child of the king and he's not recruiting people to his club. He's building a family. And uh, I'm so afraid to call people to that. Just so afraid. And there's probably for some good reasons, like I, 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 sometimes I have mixed motives in my heart. I'll be honest, I do, right? Like I want to see this church grow and like for sure, I, maybe that's a mixed motive. I don't know, it, ha- it could be. But when I really think about my heart, I'm like, no, I, I want you to, I want you to walk away from the things that hold you back. And that's a pure motive. Like, be extended grace and walk in it. So here's what I, I sometimes think is that in order to have authority over people, to call them into something practical, not just intellectual, like walk in it and show others, um, that I have to have like a ton of skill in that. Like, oh man, I got to take a seven leadership development courses and then... Uh, just know exactly how to phrase, how to, like, this is how you coach people out of their sin in ways that never get you in trouble, ever. <laughs> like, no, no, it's super bumpy to disciple people, P.S. Like, to live righteously and then call other people to it for their benefit, people misunderstand you all the time, just for sure. Because they'll go, oh, you're legalistic, or oh, you want me to do this, or um, oh, by the way, you're really bad at it. And you're like, oh, shoot, right. I'm a hypocrite. Dang, that's uncomfortable. That'll happen. Like it's, there's parts of calling people to live righteously that are super uncomfortable. So I, I always want to get more skilled before I have authority over people, right? Um, I got to have a squeaky clean track record so that nobody can do the hypocrite thing. Good luck with that. Uh, got to be so liked. Like, wow, just, I got to be the best man at your wedding before I could ever call you out of sin, <laughs> right? Because just all the brownie points. I just, could it be true that uh, all we need is a, like a love motive? Like just a, a love motive for another to help them and disciple people? Like let's just love them holistically. Isn't, wasn't that the whole plan all the time? And I, I'm getting good at loving people from afar. I'm working at loving on them right in their face. <laughs> I'm working on that part. Because it's super scary. But I don't know another way around this. I don't know how Crete becomes holy unless I actually open my mouth. So that's the wrestle, guys. I want to read just this last verse. Check this out. When it comes to this whole, you know, Titus 2.15, when it has to do with the grace gives you authority thing. Listen to this. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone despise you. Because they can't. 
because you love them too much. They might not understand. It might take a minute, and you may have done it poorly, <laughs> but don't let them despise you because you have a love motive. If you're trying to use people, well, let's figure that out. But I look around this room and I look at our family, like trying to love people, like really, like we talk a lot about courageous conversations and stuff these days. Here's why. We're just trying to love people better. It's not a magic formula. And when I think about our family trying to do these things, I really, like I really trust us, hey? I really trust us to figure out how to not just be a, a club or an intellectual pursuit and uh, uh, an initiative of some kind. No, no, no. We're called to make disciples who also make disciples. And I want to live, I want to not be afraid of uh, practical things. And I don't want to be afraid of calling other people to them either. Because I think it's good news both for them and for the world to see. And I love how confident God is in letting us have that much responsibility for the kingdom and advancing it. Mm, I love, I like power. Like I do. It's good news if you have a love motive. Wow. If you just think about how much power you wield with the Holy Spirit in your life through grace for others. So much good power. What an amazing word that becomes when we see how much it can help people and when we're not afraid of it. Oh, 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 o